The best thing you can do is just abide by your parenting plan, at least in the beginning when you're still figuring out how to adjust to co-parenting. And while everybody's emotions are still settling, just play by the rules. Like that parenting plan was created to beat your boundary. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We're excited for this one today. We have Michelle Dempsey, who is a certified divorce and co-parenting specialist and host of the podcast, Moms Moving On, which is also the title of her brand new book. If you're listening to this episode in real time, her book launches tomorrow, March 15th. She is also a go-to divorce guru on Instagram. Michelle, I've been following you for over a year now, and I'm always learning something. I'm married, but I feel like it's really important for all of us to understand divorce. I don't think anyone went into marriage planning on divorce. And also, we might have some friends and family that go through it. So I would love to hear why you're so passionate about supporting women as they go through divorce. Great question. Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I think it all came from you know a need, like what I didn't have. When I was going through my divorce, I was 33 years old. My daughter had just turned two and I had no doubt that I was making the right choice. And I was very firm in that, but I did not stop to think about how isolating it might feel or how challenging it would be when like all of my friends were still happily married and having babies. And I was alone on a Saturday night and on the other side of that came the legal process, which is completely intimidating to, you know, a mom who hasn't gone to law school or who doesn't understand the complexities of a parenting plan or a divorce agreement. And so there was so much that I hadn't thought through aside from, okay, I want to leave this marriage. I know I'll be okay on my own. The rest of it was so hard. And so that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do. It all started with my Instagram account and the articles I was writing for some of the mommy magazines that I used to be a contributor to. And I kind of felt like maybe I need to put this out there and see if anyone else feels the same way. And it turns out a lot of people did feel the same way. Well, and the fact that you're able to help those women who do feel so isolated, I mean, even in this interview, but everything that you're doing online and with the other resources that you provide, it is just so needed. And your messages They are so important, Michelle. I know that you're going to provide a lot of really good insight for everyone listening because, I mean, if we're being totally honest, some of the conflict resolution, the boundary setting, the communication tools, those are things that we all need, married folks included. So let's start at the top. One listener asked, is there a last talk that most people have with a partner before deciding on divorce? We would love to hear your thoughts on this one. That is such a good question. So... Part of the work that I do one-on-one with my clients, I work with women at all stages of divorce, whether it's before they get divorced and they need help like having that difficult conversation or they want to know what's to come. I work with them after they file for divorce and to help them through the legal process. And then as a co-parenting specialist, I work with women and couples to help them 
through the challenges of co-parenting, but the women that come to me before the end of the marriage and want help, you know, creating that last talk. So it all goes smoothly and all the right things are said. And the conversation is positioned as amicably as possible. We do that. And then a hundred times out of a hundred times, I'll get a frantic email or text like, we didn't even make it to the conversation. This fight happens. And I just said, that's it. I'm done. I want a divorce. And so I think it's one of those things that it's never easy to sit down and talk about. And you can have a script in your head all you want. But if you're dealing with somebody who's high conflict, who you're fighting with a lot, or perhaps who has cheated, or you think is still cheating, something will inevitably happen, the other shoe will drop and you're like, okay, this is it. That's the moment. But that being said, I am the queen of making impulsive decisions. And I know that that's not smart. And something that I really took to heart as my marriage was sort of unraveling was the fact that like, I didn't want it to be an impulsive decision. I wanted to have the conversations. I wanted to go to marriage counseling. I wanted to know I tried everything possible to see if we could make it work. So, you know, if you're gearing up to have that talk, make sure you've done all the work, make sure you've fought the good fight. You've tried everything. You've dragged him into or her into marriage counseling or therapy or whatever the case may be, and then let it happen as organically as possible. Yeah, it sounds like for most people, it's kind of a journey and a road and not something that is just decided on a whim. But obviously, with so much emotion involved, I can imagine you can have your script ready to go. Right. In a certain way, it's like parenting, like we have these scripts in our head. But then when the kid throws down, it's like you just can't always hold it together. Totally. It's like that saying, we plan and God laughs, right? Like you plan the perfect beach day and then it rains. Like you can plan this conversation up and down, inside out, but because it's so emotionally driven, all it takes is like one tip of the scales or one last fight or one last nasty comment for you to just be like, you know what? That's it. I'm done. Yeah, for sure. We had so many questions for you. Another one that came in is how to handle the logistical stuff. So money, accounts, shared stuff. More than a few women asked this one. And I think some of them are thinking like, even in the planning stage, like the divorce, it hasn't gotten to the lawyer stage yet. Like, how do they plan for this? Okay. So I think the question is really, what do I do for money? Right. I want to get divorced and I don't know how to plan for it. So I had recorded an amazing podcast episode on this, basically what to do if you're a stay-at-home mom and you want to get divorced and you're worried about the finances. And there is a number of things you can do. First, you can you know, use your shared assets to take some money out, put it away, save that for a deposit on a lawyer. It's not breaking the rules. It's not against the law. You know, The only challenge you might face is having to explain to your husband or wife why you took that money and put it aside. The other thing you're really going to want to get clear on, and you can look this up online. On Google, you can look up the state that you're in and a financial affidavit. That's something you have to fill out when you file for divorce. And it basically is just like a run through of all your finances from what you make at work to what you spend at the supermarket to what you spend on literally like tampons and pads when you have your period. It is so detailed. And so I always encourage women before they even speak to a lawyer, before they have the conversation to divorce, print one of those out, fill it out and see like what you would need to live on your own, whether you're planning to stay in your marital home and, you know, you 
can get spousal support from your ex, or you're going to have to leave, start from scratch, find a new place and fully support yourself. You need a good picture of what that's going to look like. And then I say, don't be intimidated by the fact that it seems like a lot. We as women always find a way to make it work, whether it's putting in more hours at work, starting a side hustle, budgeting even tighter and, you know, only buying one new pair of shoes every season instead of five, like whatever it is, you're going to be able to make it work. But I know that women like to, especially me, like I'm a planner, I want to know what's to come. And so having that picture, writing down everything you spend and knowing what you'll need to spend when you're alone with the kids is extremely helpful. I love how tangible you got with that answer, Michelle, because it can seem like so much. I mean, even just in those few things that you answered right there with the financial affidavit and writing down all these pieces, women who are contemplating divorce or are thinking about this, they can start right now by going to Google and just downloading that sheet for free and figuring out what are these first steps that I need to do? And is this a possibility? And the reason why I get so detailed and I say the tampons is because I remember when I was filling mine out and a friend of mine was like, well, yeah, like you have to put how much you spend at Target. I'm like, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks every time I go. She's like, really? Mm-hmm. She's like, how many boxes of tampons do you buy? That's like $25 <laughs> right there. And I'm like, wow, you never really think about it. And a piece of advice there that I'll give is women get embarrassed to show how much they spend, but nobody's judging you on this. Like if you buy 17 lattes a week from Starbucks, okay, write it down. Like you're not going to jail for it. Nobody's going to slap you on the wrist. You have to be honest with yourself and in the divorce process so that you can paint the right financial picture and you know what's to come. As Amy and I are both sipping on lattes right now, (laughs) be honest about it, because if you're not honest about it now, it's going to lead to so many more issues down the road. So Mm -hmm. such a valuable answer right there. Michelle, a lot of our listeners have children, so we know that the weight can be really heavy on them as well. And one thing that stuck out to me right away when we were diving into your material was the phrase that your kids deserve a happy mom, not a married mom. Oh, like that one. Like That's we understand. the phrase that started it all. Yeah. It's so good because we know that there's going to be situations. We know there'll be relationships where staying together, that's simply not the answer. But this mm-hmm. pressure that we as women put on ourselves to stay there for the kids, even if things are unhealthy, like it's real. That's very, very real for our community. So can you unpack this one for our listeners? For sure. I think there's this societal notion that like, you got to stay together for the kids. And then you'll speak to adults whose parents stayed together for the kids. And they're like, God, I wish they just got divorced. They always just seem so miserable together, or they were always fighting. Or, you know, my mom totally let my dad cheat on her and walk all over her. And that's the example I was given because they weren't strong enough to separate. And if you talk to any adult child or adult person who knows that their parents stayed together for them, they carry a terrible sense of guilt. So let's put that to the side for a second. And let's talk about your little kids. Because when your kids are little, it feels like they're always going to be that way. They're always going to be these tiny little beings that are going to crawl into your lap and hug and kiss you. Obviously, we know that what's now is not forever and time moves on. And kids are incredibly in tune with their parents' emotions at an early age. And how we feel and the tension in the room when we're around them, that is all absorbed by them. It is all observed by them. And it's how they learn to form their understanding of the world. So if you are constantly a sad, stressed out, tense mess, what do you think your kid is going to be? 
Like, how do you think that's going to rub off on them? Think about your most stressful day you've had recently and how quickly you snapped at the kids and how that made them feel. Now multiply that by 18 years because you're insisting on staying together for the kids. It's damaging and it's toxic to you and to everybody around. And so, you know, I said this recently in a different interview. When your kids make you a Mother's Day project and they write, I love my mommy when she, you know, it's usually like when she kisses me or when she gives me a lollipop or when she lets me stay up late. It's not, I love mommy when she's married or my mommy makes me happy when she stays with my dad. Like it's not that for kids. It's how you make them feel. And if you're not feeling good yourself, that's bound to rub off on them. Yeah. And I really think about just the example of the relationship that they're seeing and would we want that relationship for them when they grow up? And I think that's something that we should all really think about. A quick break from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As you guys might know, BetterHelp does offer couples therapy. So Drew and I have done a session with my therapist, and it just really helps you work on whatever you're struggling with. In our case, it was some communication patterns that we kept stubbing our toe on. So whether you're married or maybe in the process of splitting up, sometimes a therapist can really help come in and iron out some things that you could work on to improve your communication and improve your relationship. If you want to use a BetterHelp therapist or counselor, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash herself. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month. You can join the over 2 million people, including Abby and I, that use their services. I wanted to read this recent quote from your Instagram page. It said, whether you find yourself in the new stage of uncoupling because of infidelity or just because your ex had a change of heart, it's perfectly reasonable that you feel filled with anger, pain, and hate. But when you carry hate into your co-parenting life, it very often hurts your kids most of all. We need you to move on in a healthy way, mama. Plus, the best revenge is living a great freaking life. And this feels so hard. I just am imagining myself in that situation and working through all of those real-time emotions while also having to co-parent. So I want to know, what are your tips for women that are in the thick of separation? How do you put those feelings aside when it comes to parenting? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for reading that. That's one of my favorite quotes from my book. And I'm honored that you chose that one. It gives me a chill because it's so real. And I know that anyone who's divorced and listening to this feels it. I still feel it even though I'm five years out. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that first year when I was separated and like navigating this new world as a single mom where I don't feel like how heavy that was, but at the same time, how liberating and empowering. It was like this oxymoron of like weirdness, but amazingness. And any woman who knows, knows, you know? And I think when you are buried under the weight of the pain of a marriage ending, like I was, of the stress of having to parent kids on your own, and then of having to deal with your ex's emotions, because nobody's emotions are like healthy at the start of a separation, You really have to take a step back and you have to remember that number one, you absolutely can do this. It's not going to kill you. Number two, 
Your children are a gift from God and 100% there to help motivate you and pull your attention back to what matters most. I, I truly believe that like, without my daughter, I probably wouldn't have gotten divorced, honestly, but because of her, I was that much okay, because I kept saying, okay, she needs me to hold it together. She needs me to make the best possible choices for her, not for me, not based on my emotions or my anger, but putting all that aside and keeping her at the center of me and her dad's divorce, not in the middle, like really just making this about her and what's best for her. And I think that that tends to be a driving force for women over and over and over again. Like I want to lay in bed and cry all day today, but I got mom things to do. And then the other part is that you can't expect yourself not to feel all of those horrible feelings because divorce will feel horrible. And if you shame yourself for feeling bad, like, oh my God, why do I still love him? He was such an asshole. Because, you know, you're allowed to love somebody who mistreats you. Unfortunately, we all do that. And you have to allow space for that grieving and that pain. Because if you don't kind of get it out of you, it's going to like spill out onto everything you do. So leave space for the feelings, put your kids like in the middle of your world and, you know, don't make emotional decisions because that won't help that much. Mm. And for those of you who are listening, you can't see Michelle, but Amy and I are watching Michelle on video right now. And your entire body went through all the emotions when we were reading that out loud. So as Amy read through your words, I could feel like the anguish and like the heaviness on your shoulders. And then the very last line of revenge is living a great freaking life. You lit up. I'm like, this is what we need to show not only for ourselves, but then for our kids. And I want to talk about the concept of revenge. Because when you read that out of context, it sounds like I want to get revenge on my ex. I absolutely didn't. Like, I mean, in the sense of instead of having anger to be spiteful towards your ex or like take a stand and piss them off, all you need to do is move on and live a great life. That is the loudest, proudest way you can stand up for yourself. So I don't want anybody listening to this to think like, this book will give you tips for revenge. <laughs> like we're not out for revenge. That's crazy. And I can tell you, I probably love my daughter's father more now than I did five years ago because of the respect I've gained for him as a father. All I want for him is pure love and happiness. Oh, that's so good to hear. Let's talk a little bit about that because on the flip side, it might be your ex that has these really tough feelings. So how do you suggest, Michelle, that people handle that situation? Nine times out of 10, that's probably what it's going to be. Someone is always left with more pain and anger in the divorce. And it's usually the person who didn't make the decision to divorce. It could be very well the did all the things wrong and refused to change. And then you finally leave and then they're pissed at you. And you're like, what? So there's a few ways to deal with that. First, you have to come at it from a place of empathy. Let's look at why this person is so angry and hurt. A lot of times it's, they don't know how to manage their emotions. They were never taught. Their ego is, if you're talking about a man who's spewing out all this hatred all the time, you know, men don't do very well when their egos are bruised, whether it's marriage or, you know, asking for directions because they're lost or losing, you know, a bet with their friends. Ego is ego for men and it drives a lot of what they do. So you have to allow this person to be unhappy with you. You can't stand in defense of yourself every time and be like, well, you can't be mad at me because three years ago you said this. Let them have their feelings. Don't try to change it. But that being said, put up a wall. Don't let those feelings drive your whole life. Don't let your sympathy for this person or your empathy for their emotions 
dictate how you live your life because then you might as well have stayed married, right? Like set your boundaries, be firm in your decision-making, don't fight with them every time they want to fight. Something my current husband always says is you don't have to step into the ring every time someone wants to box. If you're going to go in circles with your ex, when they start throwing hatred your way, you're never going to get anywhere. It's a waste of time and energy, and you need that energy to focus on yourself and your kids. Just decide what you will and won't respond to. You know, Don't let your ex come at you all day, every day. If they do, I always say mute that mofo. Put him on mute when he's not with the kids so you don't get the notifications. You can't be unrealistic and say, I don't want him to be mad. Like, he's going to be mad. And so are you. And you both are entitled to that. And it's crazy to think otherwise. I just love the way that you teach and some of the examples that you use, because I think it really helps people put it into context. Like you sharing Kim Kardashian and Kanye West lately. I'm like, it's pop culture. People understand it. So it helps people get the example. That's a shitty situation. But that's unfortunately, you know, the rest of the world who isn't divorced is like, oh, Kanye and Kim, how horrible. But anybody who's divorced from a high conflict person is like, oh, girl, I've been through that. I know. I know what you're dealing with. Yeah. And like you say, like no one deserves some of the stuff that is happening to her, no matter how you feel about her. So yeah, it's really hard that it's playing out in front of us. But I also think this is what's going on behind closed doors for a lot of people. So it's just giving us more context, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. It's really real. And I deal with it every day with my clients. Like, literally, like all my clients will send me the news that comes out about what Kanye is doing. And they're like, is this my ex-husband? I'm like, yeah, because they actually all follow the same patterns. A high conflict person is not going to take a divorce lying down, even if he's to blame for it. He's just not. And unfortunately, the kids become collateral damage in that because this person can't put their ego aside to see in the best interest of the kids. They're just coming at it from a wounded baby man place. And it's so horrible. But at the same time, in an unreasonable situation, Kim being a reasonable mother and doing all the right mommy things is more than enough for her kids. People always think, oh my God, if my ex is crazy or he's high conflict, my kids are going to be a mess. If there is one reasonable person in an unreasonable situation, your kids are going to be okay. Yeah, that's what research shows. It's like if they have one person that they can really depend on, count on, feel loved by, like they're going to be okay. And a quick break from our sponsor, which is Rothy's. So Rothy's, this brand could be your new everyday shoe obsession. Rothy's shoes give you a right out of the box comfort and they come in so many amazing styles, so many colors and what every mother needs you can wash them. In the washing machine, they come out looking brand new. It's so easy to see why millions of women wear Rothy's shoes every single day. So you may have heard of the point and you may have heard of the flat. Amy and I both own these, but they also make insanely comfortable sneakers and loafers and ankle boots and so many more. And the best part about Rothy's is that everything they do and everything they make it's better for the planet. They've repurposed millions of water bottles into their signature threads, and that goes into every single one of their products. So if you want shoes that are comfortable, again, right out of the box, they are so comfortable, no blisters in Rothy's shoes. They look good after every single wash, and they are durable. You can use these shoes, you can wear them any season, and they're going to continue looking great. So if you want to get $20 off your first purchase, go to rothys.com slash herself. 
Again, that's $20 off at Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash herself. I did want to stay on the subject of co-parenting a little bit longer. One of our listeners asked, how do you co-parent when one house has rules and the other does not? We are struggling. Okay. And that's, again, super common. And also all the more reason to go back to what we just said. One reasonable parent in an unreasonable situation is enough for a child to thrive. So, you know, we always worry that the kids are going to go to dad's. They're going to live off of candy and sugar and not have a bedtime. Oh, my God. Listen, I wrote about this in depth in my book because I hear about it all the time. Can you believe he didn't brush her knots out before she went to school? Or can you believe he lets them fall asleep watching TV? Yeah, actually, I can believe it. Because if you guys did things exactly the same way, you probably would still be together, right? So let's look at what happens when there's a disparity or there's a difference in rules in two homes. Literally, unless one parent says, you cannot go out and attack and, you know, throw weapons at them. And one parent does. Unless that's the case, like your kids are going to be fine. Long term, They're not going to not get into college because dad didn't have strict bedtime rules. They're not going to not get into a high paying profession because, you know, mom believed in candy at all times a day. It's not long term detrimental stuff. Now, when it comes to the teenage years and there's curfew issues and there are, you know, I only want to be a dad's because he doesn't give me a curfew. Stick with your guns. I had the strictest mom in the world. And looking back, I realized it's because she had to be both mom and dad when my dad was barely anything to me. So I'll give you one more example. Kids of all ages need boundaries to thrive. They think they don't like rules and they don't want to be told what to do, but that's essentially where they gain their sense of safety. And if you think about it, like going to the top of the Empire State Building, right? If you go to the top of the building, And they get rid of that fence, like the barbed wire and the wall that keeps you from falling off the edge. Where are you going to be? You're going to be cowering in the center, hoping the wind doesn't blow and scared for your life. You're not going to have the confidence in yourself to feel free to explore and walk around. And it's the same thing with children. The second we take away those boundaries and those limits, they shut down and they start doing some really weird stuff. So you have to remain firm in your rules and your boundaries, even if it seems your ex is challenging them, because your children will actually gravitate back to that. And I wrote an article on Disneyland parenting recently for Parents Magazine, where it talks about this, you know, dad is fun and all fun and games and no rules. In so many cases, the kids start to develop an anxiety around that because they never know what to expect. When they know what to expect, and they know what's, you know, expected of them, they do a lot better than in the wild, wild west. I was just telling Abby earlier, I volunteered in my son's kindergarten class and to see the teacher, she was very straightforward. She had high expectations. You know, she has these kids on track. They love her. So I think sometimes as adults, we associate like, you know, having rules and kids know what to expect from you that doesn't mean they're not going to love you or think that you're fun. It's like they need that. They just don't know they need it. You need to be that safety net for them so that they can, you know, attachment parenting is really based on that. Like when you give them that constant security and safety and letting them know that like, I've got you, you're okay. 
they're that much more confident in life and willing to go out and explore and make the world their own, you know, than becoming like anxious, you know, little messes. And we don't want that for them. Yeah. And in this process, there will be tears from everyone, including the kids. One listener asked, how do I approach my daughter's tears about missing me when she's at dad's house? Oh my God, it's heartbreaking. I've been there. And you want to just be like, okay, let's run away together and never see dad again. But that wouldn't be helpful either. And what you have to do in that moment, and I write a lot about this in my book, is truly just validate how your children are feeling. You know, I know it makes you sad when you're not with mommy. I understand that. You don't want to get on her level in the sense that like mommy's also really sad when you're not here because that's going to make her feel a little bit responsible for your feelings. And we're not trying to parentify our kids through this process, but we really just want to hold space for how they're feeling, validate them, tell them it's okay to feel that way. And then you want to offer them a solution. For my daughter and I, it became, you know, we got a Mickey and Minnie doll and she took one to her dad's and I kept one with me. And it became like, whenever she missed me, she would squeeze and kiss the doll and I would feel it. And, you know, I would do the same and she would feel it. And that's when she was younger. As she's gotten older, we've found other ways to navigate those feelings for her. And a lot of that also, you know, came with having her dad understand that she can miss me when she's there. She can miss him when she's here. And that's all very normal. And it's up to us to make her feel okay about it. So maybe it's calling me one extra time a day when she's there, or uh, she sends me a text from her dad's phone and I send a silly emoji to let her know that she's, that I'm, that she's, you know, in my heart. And so there are ways to help your child feel connected to you when they're not with you. And it's a great opportunity to ask your child, what helps you feel connected to mommy? What would make you feel happy when you're with daddy and you miss mommy? And then they get to choose something and it becomes your special thing. And just like with everything in parenting, we're learning as we go. Oh, like we yeah. don't have just the secret sauce right away of this is exactly what's going to work. So Michelle, you're giving so many good ideas of what people can try and then figure it out for you. Like, What are the things that do make you feel more connected? What are the things that your child needs? And really sink into those things. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about the kids for the last several questions. Let's focus in on the parents now. It's really hard when someone's leaving that toxic relationship. And I know that you say that you love your daughter's father now more than ever, but it's not always that case. So one of no. our listeners asked, what are the best ways to set boundaries with toxic exes while co-parenting small children? So the best boundary you have is your parenting plan. A big thing with toxic exes or high conflict exes is they're constantly going to try and like infringe on your parenting time. Like, what are you doing with the kids? Why are you doing that? Can I take a day from you because I want to take the kids to see this? And then you ask them to switch a day and they're like, no, screw you. The best thing you can do is just abide by your parenting plan, at least in the beginning when you're still figuring out how to adjust to co-parenting. And while everybody's emotions are still settling, just play by the rules. Like that parenting plan was created to beat your boundary. Like, no, you can't have the kids on these days because those are my days. No, you can't come 30 minutes late to pick them up every time because the parenting plan says so. No, I don't have to over-explain myself to you. All I have to do is parent the kids. And you signed a document saying that you know the kids are in safe hands when they're with me. I think a big mistake that a lot of women make is they think that the nicer they are or the more they over-explain themselves or the more information they give to their ex-spouse in the co-parenting process, the less reactive he'll be. 
That's not true. I hear it all the time. I'm so kind. I'm so generous. I tell him what the kids are doing. And then he fights with me about it. And I'm like, well, because you're giving him information, he shouldn't have. You're basically giving him ammunition to come at you in any which way, shape or form. So less is more. Do not give information that doesn't need to be shared. If your parenting plan says you have to share something, then share it. Otherwise, go about your business. Because if you cannot emotionally disconnect from your ex while co-parenting, it's going to be very hard to move on. Uh, I could see that, you know, coming from women, the over-communicating, the people-pleasing, like a lot of the ways that we've been socialized as women, it's like we've got to get comfortable, you know, setting boundaries, maybe even making people mad, like that might come with the territory. Yeah, listen, the best thing you can do for yourself is get comfortable and the idea that you're going to have people mad at you. It's hard when you're a people pleaser like I am because my natural instinct was like, I'll just keep my ex happy all the time and that'll be the best thing. But then it was completely infringing on my life. So, you know, you have to get comfortable with people being mad at you sometimes. Like the world won't end because of that. And I think that is for all of us. Like all of us should be comfortable with that. And then a lot of people did ask about a support role. So they have a friend or a sister that's going through divorce. One asked, as a sister of a single mom, I'd love additional ideas for the best way to support them besides time and listening. I do too. It's like some of the hardest life events that we go through, people want to help, but they just don't know how and they're scared to say the wrong thing. Okay, so this is amazing because we need more people in this mindset. Single moms need a lot of support. And it's not just like, oh, how was your day? It's literally not asking, can I come over and help you out with anything? Just showing up and saying, hey, I'm here to watch the kids go get a manicure. It's Saturday night and you know, you have plans with other couples and you know your sister's home alone. Like, force her to come out with you. Don't make it weird. Don't be like, oh, I know you're alone. But come get your shoes on. We're getting you a babysitter. You're coming out. Force her to take your help because a lot of us are me included like, oh no, I don't need that. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And then I'm sitting there miserable, like force her into taking the time for herself, you know, splurge and get her a manicure and pedicure. Take the kids when you know she's at the end of her rope. Like those are really great supportive ways. And another thing, and this is really overlooked Friends and family members might think it's helpful when they're constantly sitting around and bashing your ex with you. It's so detrimental to your ability to move on. Like, for example, if you have a friend who's still following your ex on social media, even though you've blocked them and they send you every post, can you believe he's here? Oh my God, look, he's with this girl. That's not helpful. So if you're a friend or family member in that space, Please know that the person you're trying to support doesn't need constant reminders of who and what their ex is or what they're doing. Like, don't even make that person part of the conversation. Like, focus on the person in pain and how you can help them through it. So it's not helpful to do the ex bashing, but Michelle, that answer was very helpful just for the people who are listening who do want to support those who they love who are going through this divorce situation. So we knew that this was going to be such a wealth of information, and we are so thankful for you coming on the podcast today. I have such a heart right now for the people in my life who are going through a divorce. I'm thinking about my own husband who his parents divorced when he was two and how much happier they are now and how Colin can look at both parents who have now remarried. And he's like, this is who they were supposed to be with all along. Like, was it a crappy situation from the start? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Did they move on? Also, yes. So helping our mm-hmm. friends be able to move on by just giving them the time out or the time away or that manicure, like you said, so helpful. So please tell everyone where they can find more of you, Michelle. I'm on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey. My website is Moms Moving On, and there you will find a link to the podcast, which has been out for about two years now. It's doing amazing. We have such great guests. Podcast streams everywhere podcasts stream. And the book is out, available through my website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere, basically. It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Okay, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, we would be so honored if you shared it on Instagram, tagging at the Michelle Dempsey and herself podcast.